So I'm sorry that you have a blank bulletin again this week. Uh, but the Lord did not decide to give me this until yesterday. So you're going to have to write fast today. Uh, the notes will be up on the screens. And I will try to keep a pace so you can actually write some things down if you want to do that. Um, we're continuing to just talk about what it means to make disciple makers as a community of faith. This is the centrality of the mission that we believe God's given us for the next three to five years. The mission of Trinity is to make disciple makers who are committed to gathering, just like this, for worship and prayer, and the teaching of the word, and for fellowship, and then who scatter for service and ministry and proclaiming the gospel from Western Florence to the ends of the earth. That's what we're going to be committed to repeating again and again for the next three to five years here at Trinity, and we're inviting you to be a part. And the central piece of that is this idea of making disciple makers. And so I'll just share a little bit of my background uh, and my understanding of discipleship and disciples from when I was growing up. Uh, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, and so I did hear the word disciple from time to time. Um, I heard it when we talked about Matthew 28, which we've talked about a good number of times in here, that we're commanded to go and make disciples, right? We, we call that the Great Commission. Uh, I remember that we had discipleship training on Sunday night. Anybody go to discipleship training in your Baptist church? There you go, Sarah, okay. And uh, all that meant to me was that you go and someone teaches you some things for about an hour and a half. And if you're lucky, uh, you get some red Kool-Aid and you get those little butter cookies that have the hole in it that you can put around your fingers and you can eat it off while the teacher is, is talking. That's what it meant to me. Uh, that's what discipleship was to me. As I grew up and came to faith uh, as a 7-year-old and then really started growing my faith as a 14-year-old, I started to hear more about discipleship, but it really was not until I got into college where I actually heard people talking about uh, being disciples and the importance of that. And I'll be honest with you, my impression of that was this, that there are like the average everyday believer in Jesus Christ, and then there are uh, like the Navy SEALs, uh, the Green Berets, the Army Rangers of the faith, and they're called disciples. Uh, they're people who uh, are walking with Jesus a little bit closer. They're people who know more than everybody else. That's what it means to be a disciple. And for the longest time, I just said to myself, okay, one day I hope I'm going to grow up into that. I'm going to be one of those spiritual ninjas like everybody else, and I, I can be a disciple too. What I've come to understand is that's just not what Scripture teaches. What, what Scripture teaches and what Jesus put forward for us is this, that every single believer in Jesus Christ is called to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, that there's no difference there. And as a disciple, we are called to make other disciples. And there is one key component. Here is the one trait that you've got to have in order to be a disciple and to make other disciples, and that is obedience. Like obedience. Well, Pastor Matt, I, I didn't grow up in church like you. This is a whole brand new thing to me. I didn't even know there was four Gospels until last week when you said that. Listen, it's okay. It's okay. All you have to do is, is be obedient to what Jesus shows you. Whatever he shows you next, be obedient to that. And when that happens, you're going to be growing as a disciple. You're going to spend the rest of your life doing that. Because you're going to spend the rest of your life being obedient to Jesus. That's my prayer. He's going to show you one more thing, and you're going to be obedient to that, and then something else, and I hope you'll be obedient to that. And I hope that lifelong process of you growing as a disciple continues. And here's what's going to happen. As you obey Jesus and you grow up as a disciple, he is going to use you to make other disciples. 
Now, we have to focus in on that and listen to what he's saying, but what I have found is sometimes he just does that through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we don't even realize what's happening. There are people, I want to say this to you, there are people who are being discipled by some of you, and you have no idea because they are watching your every move. They are watching how you walk with Jesus. They are watching how you raise your kids. And there are parenting classes that you're teaching people that you have absolutely no idea because they're just observing you. There are marriage classes that some of you couples are teaching people because they are watching your marriage and they're saying things like this. When I grow up, I want to be like them. Where my marriage is right now, it is not where I want it to be. I want it to be there. And they're watching you. So as we grow as disciples... And as we obey, we'll also become disciple makers, but we have to have a focus and a commitment to that. And what I want to show you in Scripture today, and we're going to cover a lot of Scripture, so go ahead and take out your Bible, your phone, or wherever you access Scripture, because we're going to flip to a lot of passages today. And what I want to show you is an everyday, ordinary disciple of Jesus Christ, who God used to make disciples who are still bearing the fruit of that, over 2,000 years later right now on the earth. I want to show you just an everyday, ordinary disciple. Not a Green Beret, not a Navy SEAL, just an ordinary believer just like you. So I want you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And we're going to read verses 12 through 16 together. If you want to jot that down very quickly, Luke 6, verse 12 through 16. Jesus begins his ministry, and look how he does it. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. And when morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Now, here's the list. Simon, whom he named Peter. That's one of the big dogs. We've heard of Simon, right? There's Andrew and James and John. We hear about James and John a lot. They show up a lot. Philip, mm. Bartholomew, not really. Matthew, okay, get a little more understanding there. Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus. Simon, who was called the Zealot. Judas, the son of James. And Judas Iscariot, we know him, right? Who became a traitor. Just tucked right in the middle of that list, I want you to see is Thomas. Is Thomas. And what I want you to see about Thomas, just like this entire list of 12, is that they were not a mistake. That every single one of them, with all of their background, all of their variation, all of their flaws, Jesus had prayed all night long to hear from the Father and get that list of names, and those are the ones he chose. And right in the middle of that list is Thomas. Right? So let's flip to the right in our Bible, to the Gospel of John chapter 11. John chapter 11. This is the beginning of a familiar story for many of us. John chapter 11, and we'll read verses 1 through 16. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He's from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. 
And when he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. And now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, Let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you want to go back. So get this. We've been following Jesus for about two and a half years now. Jesus says, let's wait. Now he says, let's go. And they say, that's not a good idea. So even after two and a half years, his closest followers are still misunderstanding him. They're still misunderstanding his mission, what he's doing, how he hears from the Lord. And every time he hears from the Lord, it is right. Like it's right on target. And look at what he says. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It's when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. And after he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. So again, we're two, two and a half years in. Jesus has tried to soft roll this out, and they just don't get it. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let's go to him. Then Thomas, Thomas on the scene, right? Also known as Didymus. Didymus is a word that means twin. So it just depends on the language that he's referred to, either Thomas or Didymus. Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let's also go that we may die with him. So they don't understand what the sleeping meant. And now he said, okay, he's died. Oh, there's something spiritual about that. Let's go die with Lazarus. Let's all go, guys. So again, Thomas is he's jumping in there, but... He just doesn't get it. We're two and a half years in. Keep going to the right. Just a few chapters over to John 14. This is the night before the crucifixion. John 14, verses 1 through 7. Jesus is teaching really these final things to his followers, the things that are most on his heart. He's just told them that one of them is going to betray him to death. And he comforts them by saying, chapter 14, verse 1, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms, and if that were not so, I would not have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Then Thomas said, Thomas, back on the scene. You ready? Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? A question that leads to one of the most famous verses. If you've been in church at any time, you've probably heard this verse. Jesus answered, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So flip to the right to John 20. 
John 20. I know this is a lot of Scripture, but I would much rather communicate Scripture in a sermon than what I have to say. Scripture's such a better teacher than I am. John chapter 20, down to verse 19, and we're going to read 19 through 29. Jesus has been crucified, and now he's been resurrected. He's already appeared to different disciples at different times, okay? And now he's about to appear to 11 of the 12 here. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And he had to say, Peace be with you, because he just walked through a locked door. And if your best friend walked through the locked door of your house, they would have to tell you to calm down as well. Okay? They're afraid, and now Jesus has just, poof, appeared through the door. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his sides. Isn't that a beautiful picture that even after the resurrection for all of eternity, Jesus' bodies will mark the scars of the crucifixion. Not wounded, but as a mark of his victory. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? And so the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. Now he has to calm them down because they're so excited, which is awesome. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now this, unfortunately, is the story that we most know Thomas for, right? In fact, we have that saying, someone who does not believe something easily is a doubting Thomas. How unfortunate. My first name is Thomas. I, I didn't like that. I thought as a biblical name, that's not really a good idea there. I like Matthew, which is gift of God. That works a little bit better. But Thomas always thought doubting, like where did mom go with Thomas? I mean, how did that, how did that come about? But this is unfortunately what we've labeled Thomas with. Now, for 2,000 years that he doubted. But I want you to understand what's happening here. All he's asking for is the same thing the other 11 already got. I mean, Jesus walked through a door, and he said, hey, look at my hands inside. They're like, wow, and they're overjoyed. And then Thomas is like, I mean, that's awesome, but I wasn't there. And I, I, sounds great. Sounds like y'all had a great time, but I, I'll believe it when Jesus shows up and I can see his hands in his side. Just like if 11 of your friends came to you and said Jesus appeared to you in your living room at dinner last night, you would have a hard time believing that too because you don't have any experience with that. And so if you said, well, if he shows up at my dinner table, I'll believe you tomorrow night. And if he did, you would. Thomas just says, I, I want the same experience that you had. Verse 26, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, again, Jesus likes this walk through walls and locked doors trick. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, of all the people in the room, he walks right up to Thomas. Don't you love this? Thomas, 
Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. I'd say that's a pretty personal experience with Jesus, wouldn't you say? My Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, Because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Guess who he's talking about? He's talking about you. Because most of you in here have never physically seen Jesus with your eyes. If you have, I'd like to meet you. I have not. I see Jesus through this word. I see Jesus through the Holy Spirit in my heart. I see Jesus as he lives his life through each one of you. And by the grace of God, I believed. And you believed. And Jesus said, you're more blessed even than Thomas was. Isn't that amazing? Amazing? So maybe you can flip maybe two pages to the right in the book of Acts chapter 1. Mine, I just turned the pages right there. Acts chapter 1, verse 6 through 8. Jesus remains on the earth for about 40 days in his resurrected body, and he spends time with these 12 disciples, preparing them for what's coming next. And one of those times in verse 6 of chapter 1, he says, Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the dates or the times the Father set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus promised. You don't need to know when the end is going to come. Here's what you need to know. I'm going to empower you with the Holy Spirit. And when he comes on you, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to talk to people about what you've seen and experienced with me from right here where you're standing all the way to the ends of the earth. Now I want you to go down to verse 12. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. And those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas. Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. And they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Now down to chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. That place we just read about. That place praying. You with me? And suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting, and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them to. And so Thomas disappears from the pages of Scripture. It's the last confirmed sighting of Thomas in the Scriptures. So we have to ask ourselves what happened from there. Well, we're fortunate because we have a church called the Church of St. Thomas. And they kept very detailed records, and we'll explain why their history was very important to them. And from their history, this is some of the stories that they say took place with Thomas. That after a few decades, Thomas living in Jerusalem, the Lord spoke to him and said, I want you to take the gospel to India. To India. And Thomas said, no, I don't want to do that. And Jesus said, no, I, I want you to go to India. And so 
a man comes from India to Jerusalem looking for a carpenter, which evidently Thomas was. And the Lord said, go with that man. So Thomas sells himself in slavery to that man, sells back to India to work for a king. Okay? And when he gets there, the king says, I want you to build a, a magnificent palace for me. And Thomas says, no promise, no problem. No promise or problem. And then he says, here's all the money that you'll need to build this palace. And he gives it to Thomas. And instead of building a physical palace, Thomas takes all the money and he gives it to all the poor in the city. And he buys them clothes and buys them food and does those things. Why? Because he's a follower of Jesus. Which infuriates the king, right? And so he has him arrested. Until the king's brother dies. And the legend says this, that as he died, he had a vision of heaven. And in heaven, Jesus showed him the palace that Thomas had built by obeying Jesus and by caring for the poor in heaven using the king's money. And when the brother was brought back to life, he went to the king and said, it's true. He took your money and he built a palace. It's just not here. It's in heaven. And the king was converted. Along with a number of his subjects in that city. So that in 1492, when Vasco da Gama landed in the southern tip of India, he was surprised to find, as a merchant, that there was an Indian population in India that had been there for 1,400 years. He was stunned because of everything he knew that the gospel had never gone there, but here is this church that had been there for 1,400 years, believers in India. And so I want to show you what that was like. So I've got some slides. I want to make sure you orient yourself well to what I'm talking about. See, this circle over to the left, that's Israel, right? And the circle over to the right, that's the tip of India. And this is back in the day. Like, if you wanted to go from Israel to India right now, it's, it's, it's a tough little trip. Imagine back in the day, traveling over land and then sailing to the tip of India. Now, this next slide is a map of India. And I want you to pay attention to what's at the bottom. At the very bottom, where it, it points down, on this side is called Kerala. Okay, it's called Kerala. Show us the next slide there. I'll zoom in for you a little bit. That's Kerala right there. That's where Thomas landed when he, went to, when he went to India. That's in 52 AD. It's about 20 years after Jesus' resurrection from the dead. 52 AD. Records say that he landed in Kerala. That's where we get the legend that I just told you about the conversion of the king. Okay? Now this is what also those church records say. It says that he went from there over the course of the next 20 years into China as well. And that church attributes the first conversions in China to Thomas as well. The two majority populations on the face of our planet right now, believers in those places, trace their heritage back to one apostle. It's not Peter. It's not John. It's not even Paul. Who is it? It's doubting Thomas. Thomas. Doubting Thomas. 
And I want to show you this next slide. Because this place is called Chennai. And Chennai, if I'm not mistaken, is the third largest city in India right now. Very populous. He went from Kerala over to Chennai to do work. People came to faith through the demonstration of the gospel. Miraculous things happened. Were brought out of paganism, brought out of idolatry, brought out of Hinduism. And in jealousy, a number of Hindu priests came and they stabbed him to death in the night. And so he died in 72 AD in Chennai, which it wasn't called then, it was called Mylapore then, but now it's called Chennai. And you know, there are still churches and shrines there to Thomas. To Thomas now. We, we have Indian believers in our, in our sanctuary this morning. I don't know that any of them are tied to Thomas. But here's what I learned as I did mission work in India. All the believers that I met, their last name was Thomas. And that's not an indigenous Indian name, folks. Why, 2,000 years later, are there believers in Jesus Christ whose last name is Thomas? Because they took the heritage of a man that brought them salvation out of darkness. Think about that. I met a Sam Thomas. I met M.A. Thomas. I met Roger Thomas. I met all the Thomases. And none of them are related, by the way. They just all go by Thomas. That's how you know. They're a believer. They go by Thomas. I want to say something to you. There was something that happened to Thomas that took him from just a follower of Jesus who doubted to a disciple maker for which 2,000 years later we still have a heritage in one of the darkest continents we have when it comes to the gospel. So I just want to walk a few things through for you. You have to write these things down, okay? Sorry, they're up there. But you're going to have to fill in all the blanks today, okay? First thing I want you to see is what transformed Thomas, the follower, into Thomas, the disciple maker? The first thing was this. He wrestled with his faith, and he wouldn't settle for easy answers. So when Thomas didn't understand in John 11, he said, look, let's go and let's die with him. Some people wouldn't open their mouth because they were afraid that they'd sound stupid. And Thomas didn't care. He would say, let's go die with him, boys. And then in John 14, when Jesus says, you know the way that I'm taking. You know the way to get to the place I'm going. John, uh, Thomas is like, I don't know what you're talking about. We, we don't know the way. Again, some of us would be too afraid to ask a question like that. But he wrestled with his faith. He owned that. He had questions. He wanted them answered. He brought them to Jesus. And then after the resurrection, after everybody else is telling him all of these things, these are my experiences with Jesus. Thomas said, great, I just want to experience with Jesus too. And as soon as I have one, as soon as I see Jesus, as soon as Jesus reveals himself to me, then I'll believe. I'm glad that you're there. I'm not there yet. And you know what Jesus did in the midst of all of that? All those hard questions, all that wrestling with his faith. You know what he did? He met Thomas. And I want to say something to you. Some of you are wrestling with your faith. You're asking hard questions. And you, want, you don't want soft answers. You don't want Sunday school answers. You want hard answers. You want to know, is this true? You want to know Jesus is real. You want to know if your parents told you when you were six is real and true. You want to know that. And I want to say something to you. There's nothing wrong with you. 
And it's okay. And that does not intimidate Jesus in the least. In fact, Jesus would rather you ask a hard question so that you can bring it to him and own it than never dare ask that question at all. Because here's the way our faith is solidified. By getting hard answers to hard questions. Jesus isn't afraid of your questions. You know why? We just read it. John 14, 6. I am the way and the, and the truth. You know why he's not afraid of your questions? Because he's the truth. Truth doesn't change. You can do one of two things with truth. You can bow your knee to it or you can be broken by it. But truth doesn't change. So Jesus says, come talk. Ask me anything. Ask me. Ask me. And he will meet you. He will meet you. If you'll be honest and seeking. So number two, what? Transform Thomas, the follower, into Thomas, the disciple maker. He had a personal experience with Jesus. He had a personal experience with Jesus. It wasn't just walking around with Jesus. Jesus met him in his doubts and his questions. He appeared to Thomas even though there was 11 other people in the room. He shows up and he says, Hey, Thomas, come touch my hands and feet. He had a personal encounter with Jesus. Here's what I'm convinced about. There's a lot of people in churches that I've met. I can tell you just have not had a personal encounter with Jesus. You've been taught a lot of things. You've heard a lot of things, but you haven't really encountered him. We went to Presbytery this, uh, this weekend, and I heard testimonies of men and women who were called into ministry. And it was so incredible to me how Jesus met people. It was stories like this. One man was an Iranian Christian from Iran, an Iranian Christian. And when everyone who wanted to know, we wanted to know one thing. How did you become a, a Christian in Iran? And here's what he said. My parents were Christians. What? How did your parents become Christians? Because my grandfather was a Christian. What? How did your grandfather become a Christian? Because he was walking down the road one day, and there was a Bible tract on the ground that he found in the dirt. He picked it up, and Jesus saved him. Who dropped that tract back in the day in Iran? Who knows? But there's a third-generation believer who we ordained as a pastor yesterday to a church in Raleigh because Jesus met someone probably a hundred years ago. Boy, doesn't Jesus do some cool things? I mean, he does some crazy things. I was asking a pastor, how's it going in your church? He said, well, uh, we had the first baptism we've had in 35 years in our church. I was like, praise God, not kid baptism. We're good at that as Presbyterians. This is an adult baptism saved out of being lost. I said, how did that happen? He said, I really don't know, but here's the story. There was a man who moved to our city who was listening to a political podcast who mentioned C.S. Lewis, who he had never heard of before. He went and bought mere Christianity. Mere Christianity wrecked him. He said he started showing up in the back pew of our church. And this is a church that is this big. It's like Kepi and Teresa, this many people. He starts showing up in the back row of our church. He said, I didn't want anybody to talk to me except when you go to Rockville. That's going to happen because everybody knows everybody. And he would sit in the back. And, and Fred said every time he would preach, the guy would just be bawling in the back. And by the time Fred got out of the pulpit, he would jump up and run out of the church. 
So after two weeks of bawling and jumping out and running out of the church, he said, I finally tracked him down. And listen, Jesus broke him and gave, he gave his life to Jesus, and he got baptized last Sunday for first baptism in 35 years in that church. They didn't have a program to go save atheists who like pol political podcasts. But when Jesus means to meet you, he will meet you. He'll meet you. Do you think that guy had some questions? Yeah, he had some questions. Do you think he still has questions? I bet you he still has questions. Praise God, he's got people like Rockville Presbyterian that can help him answer those questions. So don't be afraid. And don't settle for anything less than your experience with Jesus. Don't settle. Praise God for your grandma's ex experience with Jesus. I know it was real. Praise God for your parents' experience with Jesus. Don't settle for anything less than your experience with Jesus. And if you ask him the hard questions and you say, Jesus, if you're real, show yourself to me. He will do it. I'll prove it to you. The other pastor that we ordained, who was from Mexico, came to the United States. His parents brought him here. He was broken. He was empty. He hated his life. And one day, he said, I was in my room, and I was crying, and I just said, God, if you're real, I need you to show me that you're real. He said that day, he needed a haircut because he had a date. And it was a Monday. And in Los Angeles, in his neighborhood, for whatever reason, all the barber shops are always closed on Monday. But evidently, as a teenager, it was very important for him as a 16-year-old to get his haircut that day. So he walks out of his house, and across the street is not a barber shop, but a beauty salon. A woman's beauty salon. And he's like, this isn't going to work, but I really got to get a haircut. He sits down, and the woman who cut his hair shared Jesus with him. He got saved that day, the very day that he said, Jesus, if you're real, I need you to show yourself to me. And that woman, two hours later, shared Jesus with him in a barber chair. Not a barber chair, a beauty salon chair. Because all the other barber shops were closed. You don't think Jesus is after people? He's after people. He's after people. We just got to get in the middle of it. And join him in what he's doing. Number three, what transformed Thomas from a follower to a disciple maker? He was empowered by the Holy Spirit. We read that. Acts chapter two. He went from being doubting Thomas to being believing empowered Thomas. Believe me, you don't go to India today to do missionary work without being empowered by the Holy Spirit. It can be an incredibly dangerous and spiritually dark place. You have got to have the power of the Holy Spirit, much less back in the day when nobody had been to India. Nobody had taken the gospel. But the power of the Holy Spirit does that to us. And what was the last thing that transformed from a follower to a disciple maker? He obeyed Jesus's command what command Matthew 28 18 through 20 that I've hit so many times from this pulpit you've got to have it memorized by now Jesus came to them and said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me therefore go and make disciples of all people baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've taught you, and lo, I am with you always to the ends of the earth. And that includes India. That includes India, Thomas. And Thomas 
went and obeyed. 2,000 years later, I can take you to meet Samuel Thomas, who is the son of the son of the son of the son of the son, all the way down to someone who Thomas made as a disciple. I want to say something to you. All pride aside, Scott, can you imagine in 2,000 years someone who changes their last name to Barlow because their family's heritage of Christianity could be traced back to you 2,000 years before? Wouldn't that be crazy? We got to dream bigger dreams, folks. We got to dream bigger dreams. Don't you be afraid to ask Jesus the hard questions. And don't you quit until he reveals himself to you. October 10th, we're going to have a baptism. Eight of our young people got saved across the street last Sunday night. Thank you, thank you. I was just waiting for something. That's a big deal, Brian. It's like eight of our young people. One of them got called into full-time Christian ministry. And that was on the fly. I mean, that was a whole separate invitation. And all I did, we announced baptism. I had one baptism when I walked out last week. We've got like 10 now. If you like to be baptized on October 10th, we'll baptize you. We'll baptize you because of what we said last week. That's the first step in being a disciple of Jesus Christ and making disciple makers. You need to be baptized. I just want to encourage us with one statement. Please write this down. I'm going to say it as slow as I can, okay? Please write this down. I want this to be our hallmark as members of Trinity moving forward. I'm sorry, you already put everything up. I just blew it up for you. Set your heart to obey, and God will make a disciple of you and make disciples through you. I don't know enough. I'm not skilled enough. I'm not caught. No. You set your heart to obey. And Jesus will make a disciple of you. And he will make disciples through you. I want that to be our heart now. Let's not worry about the fruit. Let's not worry uh, if an evangelist breezes into town and he's the one that preaches the gospel and eight of our kids. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. What I care about is eight of our kids are saved that were not saved a week ago. That's what I care about. We want to be ready for what God wants to do. We want to be ready. So our praise team is going to come because there's, there's even a chance that right here this morning that you're just like that guy down in St. John's Island who walked into a church because Jesus has already been doing the work and you, you've heard that Jesus is real, and you've asked your hard questions, and he's revealed himself to you, and this may be a chance for you to respond to what Jesus has been doing in your life. It's so simple. God himself took on human flesh in the person of Jesus. He lived a perfect life for 33 years on this earth, and at the end of it, he died on a cross, not because he had to. He died for your sin and for my sin. And when he died on that cross, he didn't stay there. He took our sins to the grave. He was resurrected from the dead. And every single one of us who will place our full, unincorporated trust into Jesus, he will take your sin. 
He will forgive you, and He will give you a new start. And He may not answer all your questions today, but He will be the answer that you need. He'll be the answer that you need. This may be a chance for you to respond to that right now. This pastor's right here. The elders and their wives will be right around the sanctuary. Talk to any one of us. We'd love to talk to you about Jesus. Let's stand and respond in any way He leads us today.